to the show with your friend and mine. So tell me, Dr. Squee, who's it gonna be this time? We like to hear you talk, and we love to hear you listen. And if you are not subscribed, you won't know what you're missing. So welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. Tonight, Squee welcomes... Hello, this is Timber Taylor speaking to you in very bad weather. And now here's the man himself, Dr. Squee. Hello and welcome to the Dr. Squee Show. I'm Dr. Squee and this is my show. Uh, it's my brand new show and we bring you this... It's, it's in very, very peculiar circumstances uh, so my guest as you've heard there will be Tim Brooke Taylor who sadly passed away uh, this week and I recorded this interview back at Sci-Fi Ball uh, which I'll get on to speaking about that in a little bit so that's the first unusual circumstance uh, my guest this week has sadly uh, left us just recently and that's an unusual circumstance so I'm really looking forward to it and it seemed like the right thing to have him as our first guest uh, like in celebration of his life and everything he gave to us. But obviously it's a weird way to start a brand new show. Uh, the other thing is we're in the middle of a lockdown right now. So I've been doing quite a few of these podcasts uh, live on Facebook Live which I'll be kind of then putting into podcast form later. Uh, because if you listen to this in the future this was during the uh, COVID-19 or coronavirus outbreak. So it's it's a really weird time to be launching a new show, but uh, out of that kind of weirdness, I think we've come up with something really good for the show. Uh, and I don't, like, it feels very odd to now do a little bit of self-promotion, which I'm going to do, uh, in light of the fact that this show is now standing as tribute to someone who I record an episode with. But um, hopefully this comes across as the tribute it's meant to be. I was very pleased with the chat I had with Tim. And I think it came out well. And considering this will be one of the last interviews he did, I think it it stands up pretty well. I'm you know I'm pleased with the the work. If you like, we did here. Like it was a twenty minute conversation, but it was a good one. Uh, but I, as I say, we'll get onto that in just a sec. First of all, uh, welcome to this brand new show. Uh, anyone who hasn't heard anything from me before, I've been doing a, a show called Gallifrey Stands, which was a, a show all about Doctor Who previously. It was uh, quite often an interview show, but it also went on to do uh, things like episode guides to Doctor Who and uh, you know, conversation pieces and, and all sorts of things like that. We did a few live shows for that. But the thing I enjoyed most about doing that was doing the interviews. And I found after years of interviewing people from Doctor Who, and I, I kind of was quite successful with that. I got loads of actors from the show, some people who play the Doctor and the companions and uh, some writers from it. And we had some really wonderful interviews and conversations over the years on that. Uh, and that ran for about seven years. I'd done you know, one short-lived uh, podcast called Better Half before that. And I also host another podcast called Due South by Southeast, where me and my girlfriend Nicola and uh, my friend Michelle uh, sit down. We have a few drinks and we talk about episodes of Due South. We watch them and then we talk back about them. And that's a lot of fun. Uh, but... I found with the Gallifrey Stands podcast, I'd become 
it's like I didn't get the same buzz recording it anymore. I wasn't feeling nervous when I started to do it. And like that kind of feeling of nervousness is really important to me. And it's something actually I talked about with Tim. He brought up that bit of advice, you know, um, which I don't want to kind of like uh, preempt what he's going to talk about. But uh, I just found like I wasn't getting the same buzz out of it anymore. And it seemed like a, a good time to end it if I'm not getting that feeling out of it. Doing these interviews I've been doing for the uh, Dr. Squee show... I was feeling that again. I was feeling that sense of uh, this is some kind of really uh, live and of the moment. And some of the interviews I've done so far have been with people I really admire and I really wanted to uh, kind of sit down with. So it, it was a really amazing opportunity. And it felt like, uh, yeah, that same buzz I got at the beginning of Gallifrey Stands kind of was back with me. So I'm really pleased with the work I've done so far with this. And I hope you're going to enjoy it. Uh, we recorded the, the idea of this show was we were going to record a whole series in advance get them all edited and ready to go and then uh, launch the show it was going to be in may but because of the the covid crisis i'm recording a lot of material and i'm still going to be over the next few weeks and uh, because those shows are done live it seems appropriate to put them out there live i'm going to do like a bit of minimal editing just like for any uh sound quality issues or like little you know silences which kind of don't really fit just to kind of like tidy them up a little bit but generally they're going to be as they were produced live so there isn't the editing element that I have to do I'm just going to record a little introduction to some of them and that's going to be the show uh, the idea that it, it, this is going to be a, a sort of seasonal show so as opposed to just like a weekly episodic uh, podcast which the other one was uh, the other thing I felt about Gallifrey Stands is sometimes I felt a pressure to put out a show. I only missed one episode near the end, uh, one week of, of putting out an episode in the whole uh, six or seven years run of Gallifrey Stands. And sometimes I think I did sacrifice quality to do that, and I don't want to get that feeling. I want to be proud of every episode of the Dr. Squee show that I put out there. That's something that's really important to me with this new new show. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it by seasons. So I don't know how many episodes are gonna be in this first season because it's it's I was thinking about like ten or maybe fifteen episodes, but because of the nature of recording them live at the moment and doing them to give some entertainment to people as it goes out, uh, you know, to to help them through this kind of time crisis for not only the UK but the world. I don't know how many episodes are going to end up being. And like it might be a very long first series. Um, and then maybe the second series might be shorter. Who knows? But uh, it's all about kind of like make sure I, I offer a quality product. And I also do some writing as well. And uh, I've had a little bit of success with that. And I want to I wanna be a writer amongst my other kind of um, things which I do. So uh, I want to have time to do that. So if I'm kind of like... Uh, you know, I've got a series of Dr. Squee Show going out. During that time, while it's going out and I've got those episodes pre-recorded, I can concentrate on my writing. I can just put out the episodes which are ready to go and then maybe have a break. And, you know, usually during the breaks, I think I'm going to be recording the next series of the show. But it means I can make time for my other pursuits like writing. So that's a little bit about me and about the show. Uh, hopefully uh, you can enjoy this. But uh, now I'm going to get on to uh, Tim Britt Taylor. So uh, this interview with Tim was recorded at Sci-Fi Ball. And that's something I've gone to every year with Gallifrey Stands. And uh, obviously, as the name would suggest, it's all about some kind of sci-fi guests. And that's something I do want to do with the new show is like have some uh, guests from the world of sci-fi because I'm a big fan. But I also want to branch out and interview 
kind of guess from like maybe from the world of sports it's something i don't know the most about but i thought it would be really interesting to talk to people about that kind of world and uh people from the world of music which we've got some interviews coming up uh which i've already done and i thought why not like i uh, talked some comedy legends because i'm a huge as well as being a sci-fi nerd i'm a huge uh, comedy nerd as well i love uh comedians it's something which has been so influential on in my life uh the world of comedy so I was really looking forward to doing uh, those kind of interviews. And as part of Sci-Fi Ball, as well as having the Sci-Fi guests, they have kind of like cult guests, if you will. So uh, people, you know, as I say, like this from the world of comedy, like uh, entertainers like Tim. And uh, like they do a cabaret in the evening. So they got Tim to come along, uh, do some signings, do some photographs and do some talks. And in the evening, he did a version of, I'm sorry, I, I'll read that again, which was his radio show, which he, he did back in the day, uh, many, many moons ago, over 50 years ago, he was doing that show. And some folks have recently kind of put together, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, again, which is a live show they do, uh, taking the uh, best of the scripts from, uh, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, updating a few of the references and putting them into a new show. And they have guest stars each week some which were in the original show and i think a few others as well so uh tim has guested on it i believe before and he was doing that this night and so uh he was there at this this event and he was talking about uh back in the day with like the radio stuff and with doing uh, i'm sorry and having a clue which is a show which i've been a fan of all my life and i used to listen in the car with my dad it comes up in the interview and I still listen to this day. It's like it's heading towards 50 years. Just I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. And he's also uh, he did the goodies, uh, which was such an informative and transformative uh, show in the British comedy scene. It only ran for a few series between the BBC and then went to ITV. Uh, and, and it was never repeated. It was one of those shows which kind of uh, just for some reason never, never made it to repeat. But it's kind of so fondly remembered in spite of that. And it was such a great and, and powerful and anarchic and silly and fun show. And Tim, the thing which is such such a gut punch about this is, like, you know, people often say uh, there was more in that kind of guy. He, he could have gone on to do more. He still kind of uh, was out there performing. And uh, Tim was, was certainly doing that. And... He was still so full of uh, life as well as full of comedy and full of this kind of uh, wonderful performance. And it's one thing when you lose someone to uh, natural causes and you think it's like, you know, even though it's so sad still, at least you can say to yourself, like, that was their time. But uh, Tim died uh, of complications due to the uh, coronavirus. And just feels like he's been taken away from us. Like as so much has been taken away from us at this time. And that's kind of what really hurts. And I hope people don't see it as um, capitalizing or as insensitive to put this out just after he died. But I thought it was important. Like, yeah, we need more Tim in the world at this at this time, you know. And this one of the last interviews and I didn't want to sit on that. So hopefully that's the spirit this comes out in. Because th th that's what it is to me. And... Uh, it's just one of those conversations which, for me, were really easy to do because I, I have loved him in everything over the years. Like, you know, he even pops up in uh, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, the classic kind of uh, version of the Roald Dahl movie. 
you know, the, the movie version of the book. And just he had, he had stories to spare, you know, uh, not in any braggadocious way, but when he talks, he talks about like people he's worked with over the years who are perhaps, uh, you know, more internationally known comedy legends. So when he talks about uh, John Cleese, perhaps people know that name a little bit better. But uh, he is certainly part of the comedy ferment. And he, you know, he, he, he co-wrote on the Four Yorkshiremen sketch, which if you haven't heard of it, please just Google it. Uh, Look it up on YouTube. It's it's this wonderful sketch about one-upmanship amongst uh, four Yorkshire men, as, as the name would suggest. And, and he was just still going. He was still going and doing live versions of I'm Sorry, I Haven't a Clue and uh, recording that live for the radio. And I just think he, he could have gone on for years to come. And we're all poorer for not having his comedy and his, his silliness out there, like his joyful silliness. And his way of looking at the world, um, you know, he mentions in this interview about being the last one sitting on, I'm sorry, having a clue. Uh, you, know, you know, Graham Garden and uh, and Barry Cryer are still with us, but um, I know they've been absent from the last uh, least series of I'm sorry, having a clue. I don't know if they're due to return to it, but, uh, you know, we could potentially have seen the last one of the original lineup of, of that amazing show um, to be on it. You know, and it's impossible for me to think of that show going on without those original voices. Uh, Tim's being one of the best. Um, yeah. So it's with a lot of love and a lot of sadness I bring you this interview. And again, I I, I hope it doesn't seem in any bad taste. And and I'm sorry if it does to anyone. But uh, this is a celebration of it of what to me is is a great comedy legend. It's just a twenty minute chat, but it was it was so packed. And what I'm personally looking forward to in this new project of mine is the interview being as long as it it wants to be so like you know uh on, i was on the radio with the uh, last podcast it went out on krypton radio which meant it kind of had to be a, a set format so it was an hour long each week so sometimes like if i had a shorter interview you know i had to add something else in there if it was a longer interview i had to uh kind of cut it down uh whereas like you know this is a wonderful 20 minute interview that was the time we had uh given his schedule at the sci-fi ball and um you know it just just seemed right it kind of like it fit perfectly we knew how much time we had and we kind of played with that and uh i kind of set my questions geared towards that it was just a wonderful chat it doesn't feel like we uh, left anything too much out obviously i could have spoken to him easily for an hour but i'm really pleased with what we did here and i'm very thankful to tim um so uh, please enjoy this uh here is mr tim brooke taylor recorded at the sci-fi ball i mean there's just so much to get through but first of all uh, we've recently lost uh, nicholas parsons yeah. i was just wondering in both of your uh, lustrous radio careers if you ever crossed paths i did um just a minute a few times in the sort of 70s and 80s, um, so I, I didn't really know him that well. Um, but he, he, he went on for a very long time working, which was yeah. quite extraordinary. Makes me feel quite tired to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like almost there was a, a two-horse race for the longest radio shows between that and Just a Minute. Yes, uh, that's Just right. a Minute, sorry, I'm having a clue. Uh, well, Just a Minute it, it was, is winning at the moment. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, in two years' time, it'll be the 50th anniversary, I'm sorry, I have to close. So. It's 
that's just amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and that itself, you you just last night doing. I'm sorry, I'll read it again, again. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I mean, the, I I didn't quite catch the very beginning. Was is that adapted from the original scripts? I take it. Yes, the the scripts that we did in the sixties um, have been adapted and adapted for the occasion because the one or two remarks that could only be applied to a sci-fi ball for stuff, oh. and also the the time and. Um, various names but yes basically the scripts are from there I listened to one the other day funny enough they'd show, they play them on Radio 4 Extra on a Thursday I think it is it's 8.30 and I think that was me 50 years ago 50 <laughs> odd years ago and actually I find myself chuckling which is not what I'm doing but uh, the scripts are some good stuff yeah, and I, I believe though the the reference to Pierce Morgan was in the original. It was a prophecy. It was a warning to the future. <laughs> I was trying to think of Pierce Morgan because thinking that would have given you a clue <laughs> yeah. that he wasn't there in the sixties. No, he didn't haunt us then. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know that was the show which would later birth. I'm sorry, having a grave. And, and yeah. I mean, how many years did I'm sorry? I'll read that again. I think we. I'm just can't remember when we started. Probably about sixty-four, five. That sort of time. Um, it came out of the fact that a studio sorry a studio um, when we were at Cambridge we did a review that went around the place and eventually we all got proper jobs um, but the radio Radio 4 or I think it was Radio 4 then it must have been the home service said um, would you like to do on radio and it's the same cast as, as students and uh, and it was good fun doing it for years and years we have very good audiences very friendly sort of fan type audiences which meant you got last before you almost said the line <laughs> but uh, we didn't mind that laughs are a good thing and am i remembering correctly i think graham garden tells it that you know they wanted to do some more of it but they didn't want to script it anymore <laughs> well it was it, it, they got i mean i wrote some of it but graham uh, wrote a huge amount and billotti and you know they were doing a whole series at a time and they were being paid almost nothing for the radio so they wanted to keep it going, and this is a way of doing it without having to write a script. To start with, it was pretty awful. I'd quite like to hear the pilot now, because I remember being so embarrassed by it, and then going to the pub afterwards with Humphrey Littleton and saying, will we promise never to do this ever again? <laughs> and it was agreed by everybody, we'll never do it again. And uh, the head of Radio 4 at the time, uh, Tony Whitby, he, he said, yeah, go ahead with it, and uh, it's his fault. <laughs> I mean, how did Humphrey Littleton come into? I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I, I'm just such a huge fan of him on, on that. But it just, it seems such a left field choice, a jazz. It was a bit. I think we sort of um, David Hatch, who was in the show, but then part of the BBC, he'd worked with him, I think. And I mean, as a teenager, I used to dance to him in the ballroom in Buxton, and look up to this huge, tall, impressive trumpeter. And I couldn't believe later that I was working with one of my heroes. And he, he, he was absolutely brilliant all the way through. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, could you just have you got a favourite hump story? It was not really, no, because there are too many of them. But I just remember very late on, and this is not so funny now, because I'm the age he was at the time, and he was much older than us. And I was giving him a hard time, and he suddenly said, I'm 78 for Christ's sake. And the whole audience roared with laughter. And then I told this the other day and so I thought, wait a minute, I'm 78. <laughs> but he went on and he was, just, he played that grumpy, you know, I don't care a thing about what they're doing, but he, he was he was just a good, good guy. And a great trumpeter. I loved his music too. 
Yeah, I mean, just in such, a, I was thinking about this yesterday, like there's not many musicians who work with uh, Louis, Louis Armstrong. Yeah, got it. Who described him as the British cat who swings his ass off, <laughs> to then working with, um, who was I saying this? Uh, me. Android, um, uh, Radiohead, sorry. All right. Radiohead. And, and you And me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you and Louis worked together. Well, right I think you, uh, I and Louis were muckers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you, uh, after the pilot, no, <laughs> well, it really was. It was awful. I mean, nowadays there's there's a scripted intros and things like that, which have been written and makes the holds the show together. But still, there's a lot of ad lib. But then it was chaotic ad lib. I mean, it was we didn't really know what to do, and it was an idea would come out. Eventually, over the years, we formed some rounds which we sort of know what's not going to happen, but at least we know how we're meant to be playing it. You know. And some of my favourite ones are totally ad lib now. It's like the one word at a time, letters to each other, and it, it's you see the pressure on people's faces trying to get it, get it through, and get to the next line, and then you try and use a word that leads them to say what you want to, and they don't. It says something else that goes way away. And uh, well, I, I love it when I see you stitching each other up. It's, just, yeah. it's the funniest thing. It's like yeah. it's, there is a bit of stitching up. Yes, yeah. yes, there is. Yeah, like Graham just jumping with him. <laughs> yeah, well, I not what I do now is comma. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's good one yeah. I overuse it, but it's very useful. And uh, speaking of, like, we spoke a bit of, uh, about Hump there. Uh, what about uh, working for all those years with your Willie? <laughs> well, Willie <laughs> was uh, Willie was a, a good mate, and we'd known each other for a long time because when our student review went to Broadway, America, um, David Frost organised a tour of that was the week that was, and. I and Bill Oddie were asked to be part of it, and three of the original cast, including Willie Rushton, were there. So I taught America, and we, we got on really well, and actually went on a little trip to Mexico together. But I, when he came back, um, it, it was a little time before he became my, my partner. And um, the extraordinary thing is I did a film in 1969, I think it was, and I played, I'm embarrassed, and I apologise to the gay community, I was so campy, it was embarrassing, but... The, when I saw the film a lot later, I saw myself leaving my lover, who was Willie Rushton. <laughs> <laughs> it's still absolutely amazing. That's, um, it's, that was the, the sad part of that film. It was Sharon Tate's last film before, and she was pregnant. We didn't know that. And she was a lovely, lovely person. It was a terrible film, but it was um, she was very good, in, and uh, I wrote and act with Orson Welles, as you do. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that, I think that film has died away somewhere, but I've got a copy in a, on a modern VHS. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure how to play it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing which I'm, yeah, obviously, just, I'm, I'm sorry I haven't a clue has been going for so long, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Kind all of right, kept... you're right. No, but I was, I was going towards a compliment. <laughs> oh, right. It's the way that it's um, kept up with time. So I, I heard a little while ago they replayed the first episode, and uh, or one of the early episodes, certainly, and the round was making animal noises, and just you're all so kind of giddy. That was so anarchic then. And then cuts to the 80s or 90s. I remember hearing an episode where Willie Rushton was talking about his whistling dildo from the Innovations catalogue. <laughs> and just, I mean, how does a show go through, you know, just keep 
coming up with yeah the t- keeping up with the times like that. Well, it's with great difficulty. Yeah. And it's, we've got a, a new uh, set of recordings in March and April, and you, I start to try and think of ideas, new meanings, and things like that. But none of them come because oh, I've done that before, I've done that before, I've done that before. I thought I was so clever coming up with a, a, a sanctuary, and you know that toys are us. Well, I got dads are me. And I thought, this was brilliant. And they said, you did that eight years ago. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> so the answer is, it's, it's quite a strain to try and think of new things. But well, you learn, a good... I believe, from the, the goodies. They're not going to repeat it, so you have to. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't think most people would remember that's on me either. So, but perhaps I'll slip that in the next series. <laughs> Uh, and you know, obviously, where uh, people have um, sort of left us, you had to have uh, different comedians in. Well, do you remember why the decision was made to have a revolving kind of guest in in the, the Willie Rushton chair, if you will? Well, I think they couldn't think of somebody that was necessarily part of the team, so to speak, and so it was. Let's try some new people, which in many ways has worked, but it's always a bit more of a strain on me because I've always got a new partner most of the time. Mm. Um, and now I'm the last man sitting, as they say. Um, but we've just done a tour, um, stage tour, in 19 venues around the country with slightly mixing cast, but some really good people. They're all quite young, which is uh, uh, annoying. And they're very good, so it's, it, it does work together, and they know it. They've heard the program since they were quite even younger, yeah. And so it, that gives it a fresh feel as well. But I miss Willie though, still, yeah. I mean, um, when uh, sorry, Phil Jupiter was uh talking about being on the show, he compared it to be uh, the Stones going on tour and asking you to sit in with them, <laughs> like that's how it's revered, you know. Is that... oh, I like that idea. I think I prefer to the Beatles, actually, if that's okay. Okay, good. Right. I'll, I'll, oh, right. Right. Phil, yeah. if you're listening, yeah, I'll, I'll take that from <laughs> I think it's still not bad. Not uh, bad no, no, it's not. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, most shows, like, the, the five of you had such a wonderful chemistry. The fact with this rotating cast of guest comedians, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's lost. It's different, of course. But it is different. and But we're also lucky because we all said... Um, Humphrey Littleton was irreplaceable, and in many ways, he couldn't replace Humph. But Jack D's got his own persona now, and it's fantastic, and he's he gets better and better and better. Well, I don't know if you remember when uh, they had that first series after Humph left us, and they had uh, two shows with a different host. Yeah, that's right. When you did the Jack D ones, it was here in Southampton, and I was, oh, was, I was in the audience. Oh, was I was oh. And it was wonderful, because... You, sorry, this is, I do mean this in a very reverent way, but like he was so nervous, you could tell it meant so much to him. Well, but you guys were doing everything to help him out, and it was just so lovely to see. It would have been a very nerve-wracking thing to do. I agree with that, sir. but he doesn't give the impression and of being nervous. He was the first nervous. guest host up. Right. Well, I, we. I think there was Stephen Fry and who else was there? Three of them, hmm. and I, it just seemed in that he seemed a natural fit, and also the one. That, was happy to do it, you know. But he has got, on this tour, he just came out with the most wonderful stuff. What was tragic about the Nicholas Parsons, obviously his death, was that he used to, we used to do a thing called Just a Minute, and he played Nicholas Parsons. And of course, Nicholas died, couldn't do it in the last three shows because he had died. And so um, we thought we thought we might do it in reverence to him, then thought it's not going to work that way. So Yeah, mm. I, I think... 
Some people would get it, some people would yes, maybe. Yes, that, that's right, that's exactly right, yeah. I just remember when uh, Jack was kind of like, uh, I think obviously after all these years, Hump knew when to tell you guys just to right, stop, that round's over. Yeah. And you just had uh, Barry Crides going to him, Jack? <laughs> and then go, oh right, yeah, okay. So it's just lovely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, get, getting on to some other, other projects, because obviously you've got uh, all these wonderful projects in your uh, uh, illustrious <laughs> career. Uh, so The Goodies <laughs> is obviously one you're getting asked about a lot at the moment. It's just reaching a, an anniversary itself. Yes, it is. And it's, it seems extraordinary, actually, 50 years. Um, I haven't seen them all again. They've all been properly renovated and made better digitally. But um, it's it's a sad thought of me sitting at home watching myself from 50 years ago. But there are several ones people have brought up this weekend that I think, well, I must go and look at that one and see it again. And uh, I enjoy them more now because at the time, things went wrong. It rained when you were meant to be filming and you had to rewrite it and change it. So all you're thinking of is, oh, pity we couldn't do that. But now I've forgotten all the problems and just see things that the see this young man doing things I wouldn't even dream of doing that. We're very painful, falling off our stupid trandom. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, had you all met on Clue? And then... We were, we were all at, uh, in the... I'm sorry, I read that again together. Sorry, uh, yeah. Um, so, Graham Garden and I had done a couple of series, um, basically an encyclopedia of comedy, so you could have different subjects and then write it and we did two of them and the BBC said could we have a we'd like a third series but could you make it slightly different meaning better and uh, Bill was singing on the show and then we just thought let's try and do something that doesn't have punchlines because that's the problem with sketch shows you've each punchline you've got to start all over again mm. so Python had got around it very cleverly usually by Graham Chapman coming on and saying let's do something completely different you know and but they didn't have a punchline so we got around that by having a storyline but basically before every series we would have a meeting we used to call it our panorama meeting looking at all the subjects that were around at the time and then try and squeeze them into a story in, in different ways that's how it, that's how it started and i i think for me the reason why it uh, still stands up today and it's so markedly different from the other shows of its time is it, it's kind of come from a place of wonderful positivity I mean it's called mm. goodies and it's a, <laughs> yeah. it, it, just people trying to have a laugh and kind of a good time like whereas if you look back in Python and stuff there's kind of a comedy of cruelty a bit in there and there's some jokes which are more dated I think that with Python I think Life of Brown is one of the best things ever made it's amazing but the series has dated a bit in a strange way it's it's odd to watch because I did this series before um, a last 1948 show with Marty Fellman and John Cleese mm -hmm. and Graham Chapman and that was very similar in a way um, but there was it was good fun but the Python thing I mean the classic sketches are still classic oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, I don't mean to no, no. down to build you up but I, I oh, think there was oh, something oh, oh you can do that <laughs> <laughs> it's just that I think there were so many other shows I guess what I'm getting is there's so many other shows which tried to copy that mould whereas yeah. you, you did something kind of which was different which yeah. was coming from a, as I say a kind of place I think well it had a mixture of satire and cartoons yeah. you know, <laughs> it was a mixture of them both and I always say it's interesting probably the best audiences we had appreciated it most were Australia and Scotland, and I think it's because it's anti-establishment in a way. The whole mm. thing, Australia has just been phenomenal. They showed showed it every day of the week for years and years and years, side by side with Doctor Who, 
And so when we went out there, they knew more about the shows than we did. They knew them. And there was a uh, goodies uh, fan club online, which they did, which filled us with all sorts of details. They were brilliant. So it was, it's extraordinary, really. Okay. Um, mm. One thing I try and get from all my guests is just a little bit of advice, you know, to help me be a better presenter and everything else. Uh, what have you got advice about uh, longevity? I think you could say something <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, that's, I'm grateful she's here and so I'm crawling. It's thanks to my wife I'm still here and uh, still talking. Um, I think it's the answer is um, be frightened every time. The, the, end, the quite serious thing is, I used to do sort of plays, and some of the actors had no worries at all. They'd, they'd, they'd learn the lines in two seconds. The minute something went wrong on stage, they were completely thrown because they had, they'd never conceived that it could go wrong. So I still now worry about, about what's going to happen. I'm ready for things to go wrong. So that doesn't sound very positive, but actually it does help. I think all these years of improv probably helps. Well, it's a bit like fighting in a war. It's best to hide behind things when you have to or when you can. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something I, I, I loved last night. It's just, you know, when you tripped on the line, you made a joke after it. <laughs> I panicked into that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's lovely. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. it's those bits of improv which just, just lift it. It just yeah. that's Yeah. Yeah, well, if the audience go along with you, yeah. but if you've got a strict director saying, "Hold it, let's do that again," you know, it's not quite the same thing. Well, without one take, I just want to thank you because I, I listened to I'm sorry, I'm in a group with my dad uh, in the car when we were going places, and I still listen today, and it's just You're it's still one very intelligent man. Well, I can't go. I, it's not going to get better than that. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Thank you. So there we have it, guys. Uh, that was uh, Tim Brooke Taylor, um, Breast of Soul. Uh, I don't know what else to say, but uh, we'll be back next week and the weeks to come with uh, the Dr. Squeeze show. So we've already done interviews with uh, with Tim there, of course, and we've got coming up uh, comedian Paul McCaffrey. We've got uh, Jill Sapule, singer-songwriter. Uh, I spoke to Paralympic uh, gold medal winner. That's um, Helena Lucas and uh, writer George Mann. And we've got loads of really wonderful shows already recorded and we're continuing to record them. If you go over to our Facebook page, uh, just look up The Dr. Squeeze Show. And uh, we've got loads of videos already up there. So you can, if you want to, if you don't want to wait for the podcast, then please watch the videos on there. Otherwise, they'll be coming up in video form, uh, sorry, in podcast form very soon. And uh, I'm really excited about this new project. I'm really um, blessed, I think, to have Tim there as my first guest. And, um, yeah, I'm just going to miss his voice in the world of comedy a lot. Uh, but I look forward to coming back and, and being with you in future weeks and, and sharing with you uh, some other kind of like people who I've, in, in a lot of cases, grown up loving and uh, I've listened to over the years and I've watched over the years. And hopefully you're going to be with me for this ride. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Um, thank you once again to Tim Brooke Taylor. And that was the Dr. Squee Show. <laughs>